Hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. Glory to the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please let's be seated in God's presence this morning. Start reading from verse 1. John chapter 1 and in verse 1. John chapter 1 verse 1. John chapter 1 verse 1. Hallelujah. Amen. Verse 1. The Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Six now. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. (coughs) That was the true light which lighted every man that cometh into the world. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. Okay, before I pass any comments on that, let's open our Bibles to the book of Psalms 40. Psalms chapter 40, Psalms 40, verse 6, Psalms 40, verse 6, praise the name of Jesus Christ, Psalms 40, verse 6, the Bible says, sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire, mine ears hast thou opened. Bond offering and sin offering hast thou not required? Seven. Then said I, Lo, I come. 
in the volume of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. Father, we thank you. We give you praise for your word. We give you praise. We appreciate your most holy name. We ask that as we look into the perfect law of liberty, we will not be forgetful hearers. We will be doers of the work in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen and amen. amen. Hallelujah. So in John chapter 1, we, we began to see how that um, the apostle John that was writing the book of John chapter 1 started by giving us the origin of Jesus Christ. And he tied it to the book of Genesis. You know, the book of Genesis is the only book of the Bible that starts with in the beginning. Apart from John, the book of Genesis was the only book in the Bible that, start, that started with in the beginning. But now, John, years later, was going to write about Jesus Christ and he started on the same premise in the beginning. And John, what John was trying to do, basically, was to say that, he was trying to say that God, Jesus Christ, was not an afterthought. What I'm trying to say is that Jesus, okay, let me put it this way. You know, if I say something like Jesus was not an afterthought, what you will immediately think is that I'm trying to say that Jesus was not a creation, a creation of need. That is to say that God did not have a need. And because he wanted to meet that need, he created Jesus. No, no. That was, that's not what I'm trying to pass across. What I'm trying to pass across is that Jesus, the redemptive work of Jesus Christ was not an afterthought. That is, God was going to create the world. God was going to create the heavens and the earth. And God had one antidote for anything that might go wrong in the process or anything that might, might go wrong in the heaven and, the, and in the earth that he was going to create. So before the heavens and the earth were created, Jesus was already the answer. Praise the name of Jesus. You know, so many people have said that, uh, why did God create Adam and Eve when he knew that they were going to fall and all of that and all of that and all of that? What I'm basically trying to say is that in God, there is an insurance cover. There is an insurance policy. The insurance policy of God towards all his work is Jesus Christ. You know the same way a businessman will have a business and if he's, any, if he's a serious-minded businessman, one of the things he will have is insurance cover. Meaning that if anything happens, if anything goes wrong in this business, if, for example, my, the entire of my warehouse uh, catches fire and I lose all my goods, the way for me to bounce back is for me to have insurance cover. Now, to have insurance cover doesn't mean you will go and set your house on fire. Does it mean so? To have insurance cover doesn't mean a person will go and set his warehouse on fire. The insurance cover is there to serve as a permanent solution to any eventuality. So when God was, created, was creating the heavens and the earth, God had already set Jesus. Jesus in God was already God's insurance cover for anything that would go wrong. And for every man who passes the earth realm, for every man God creates, God creates that man, and that man is under the insurance cover of Jesus Christ. That peradventure, this person that we are creating, if he gets into the earth realm and he becomes 
a candidate for the kingdom of hell. Jesus Christ is his insurance cover. Every redemptive work or restoration or restoratory work, I don't know if that's a word, but let me use it. Every redemptive or restoratory work God is going to do is going to be predicated upon Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. So John started on that premise that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and this word that we're talking about was God. And the Bible says, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And every time I read this scripture, every time, every time I read this scripture, I'm always tempted to pass the comment that I'm going to pass now. And I'm still going to pass the comment. And it is that unless Jesus Christ is actively involved in anything that has been made, that thing is not truly made. You know, one of the colloquial expressions we use to say that the person has become successful we say, is that we say this person has made it. This person is made. If Jesus Christ is, in, is not in that person's life, that person has not been made. That person has not been made. So without Jesus was not anything made that was made. And so the Bible says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. But then we take a detour. And then the Bible begins to talk about a man. The Bible says there was a man sent from God. Which is the title of our message. The title of what we're looking at today. A man sent from God. The first thing I'd like to point out to us, sir, from that scripture is that the Bible didn't say there was a man sent by God. The Bible didn't say there was a man sent by God. The Bible said there was a man sent from God. You can be sent by somebody you are not involved, you are not, you don't have any involvement with. Any, just anybody can send anybody. But for a person to be sent from, it means that that person had a placement. That person had a placement in his sender. So when the sender was sending the person, the sender sent him a part, oh God, the sender sent a part of himself. Meaning that a man who is going to be sent from God must truly have been in God. And the, the way God sends is that he sends men who are only in him. So there was a man sent from God. So when I come to Jesus and I surrender my life to Jesus and I say, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. The first assignment is not to look for what to do for God. The first assignment is to correctly take my place in God. The first assignment is correctly build stature in God. It is after a man has built stature in God that that man can be said to be sent from God. Whereas, if a man has not built stature in God and the man leaves, it could be that that man was sent by God but not sent from God. And it will be that the content that man would dispense will not be the content of God. But a man who is sent from God has no other option than to dispense the content that he has, which is the content of God. So sent from God. That's the first thing I would like to pass. That every man God will send, that man will have to come from him. Will have to come from him. From him. So somebody who God sends into the business realm, somebody who God sends into ministry, somebody who God sends into education, even though he's being sent into education, he's being sent from God. 
And so the golden message he carries is the message of God. The content he comes to discharge will be the content of God. And if this is true, that means for me to be an effective messenger, I must be an effective indweller. For me to be an effective messenger, I must be an effective dweller. The Bible says, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord. And it is only men and women who dwell in the secret place of the Most High that will have something to say of the Lord. I will say of the Lord. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. And so Psalms chapter 40 now puts it in perspective for us. Psalms chapter 40 verse 6 tells us something very striking. It says, sacrifices and offerings you have no delight in, but my ear has thou opened. Man of God, see, you know, sometimes eh, when we sense a call of God upon our life or when we want to bear a message for God, one of the immediate things that we want to do, we, we by default want to do, one of the immediate things that we are taught to do is to sacrifice. So we are taught to sacrifice our money. We are taught to sacrifice our time. Sometimes we are even taught to sacrifice our relationships and all of that. But that, that sacrifice does not delight God as much as a messenger whose ears has been opened. So Jesus said, sacrifices and offering you have no delight in, but my ear has that opened. Can you imagine what the psalmist was using to equate, not to equate, what the psalmist was using to surpass sacrifices and offering, just the opening of the ear of a person. That means that a man who God has his full attention, God can comfortably use. So the first thing for a messenger of God is that his ears are open. That is why Ezekiel said, and I prophesied as I was commanded. Every time a person is going to discharge the prophetic the prophetic assignment of God, that person's ear first must be open. So the Bible says, God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I may speak the, that I may speak the right words to him that is weary. The Bible says, he opened my ear morning after morning. So the reason why I have a word in season to give to him that is weary is that God is opening my ear morning after morning. So everyone who is going to be a messenger of God has to have his ear open to God. His ears must be opened. His ears must be opened. That means that God should be able to speak and he will listen. And I'm not saying that he should be a person who hears the voice of God. You know the way people will say, God just spoke to me. No. I'm saying that everywhere he sees or he has a suggestion that the word of God is taking place, the person will actively run there. That is what it means for a person's ear to be open to the Lord. That everywhere the word of the Lord is being given a voice, his ears is being opened to the place. The Bible says, okay, let me leave, let me leave that. Let me leave that for a while. Let me leave that. So the Bible says, sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire, my ears hast thou opened. The Bible says, burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Verse 7, the Bible says, then said I, when I discovered this, then said I, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me. That word book there 
is, is, was translated book so that we understand. The Bible says, what the literal, the literal meaning there is that I come in the volume of the scrolls. I come in the volume of the scrolls. You know why you say volume of book? You know, you, the way you have volume one, volume two, volume three of a book. You know, it still looks modest. But can you imagine that a scroll has volumes? So he says, so the Bible says, I come in the volume of the book. It is written on me, of me. I come, I come, I come, I come. That means after my ears has been opened, one of the things that I will realize is that I have something that has been written concerning me. When God opens a, a person's ear, the person will know that there is a volume of book written concerning me. So if that person is going to appear on the scene of history, or if that person is going to appear on the scene, that person is going to appear, he's going to come in the volume of the book. But one of the sad things that happens to people is that they come, but they don't come in the volume of the book. This was why when Jesus wanted to actively start his preaching and teaching ministry, not his redemptive ministry, every aspect of Jesus' ministry was redemptive, right? But there's a fragment that was for teaching. There was a fragment that was for miracles. There was a fragment that was... I hope you know that going to the cross was also Jesus' ministry. Going to the cross was Jesus' ministry. Dying and resurrecting was part of his ministry. But the aspect of Jesus' teaching ministry, Jesus said to them, Jesus, the Bible says he went into the temple as his custom was. Again, we see that Jesus was always going to the temple. Why? Because he understood that for you to be a messenger or for you to carry the message of God, your ear must be open. So the Bible says, as his custom was, he was always in the temple. As his custom was, he was always in the temple. And when his ears had been fully opened, on one of the days, he said that it should be given to him a portion of Isaiah. And then when that portion was given to him, the Bible says, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to him that is me, to declare the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God. And after, when he said all of these things, the Bible says that, he said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And then he handed the book back, and the Bible says, the eyes of all that were there were fastened unto him. I'm trying to say to you, that would there be a day that will come, that you'll be able to say that this particular scripture, these days, it is fulfilled in your ear. That every man and every woman that walks upon the surface of the earth, and what I'm trying to say, I want us to remove our mind from, ministry, from pulpit ministry. What I'm trying to say is that every man and every woman that appears on the face of the earth, especially if he belongs to God, the person is here to fulfill a scripture. Fulfill a scripture. And this was what made Jesus have an excellent ministry. Because Jesus would do this and the Bible says that it may be fulfilled. That which was written. That it may be fulfilled. That it may be fulfilled. That which was written. Check it. What Jesus was, even though Jesus said to us that whatsoever I see my father do, that is what I do. But check it. Majority of the times that Jesus did what he did and the Bible says that it may be fulfilled. The Bible says that it may be fulfilled. That which was written. That it may be fulfilled, that which was written. That it may be fulfilled, that which was written. 
everyone who will bear the message of God correctly must know that which is written. That which is written. That which is written. That which is written. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. And so in verse 8, the Bible says, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. And I tell people that in, normal, in, in, a, in a sinner crime, in a sin crime, a person is supposed to first become a successful Christian before he becomes a pastor. I don't know. I, I, some people might not totally agree with what I'm saying, but for you to be, the Bible, Paul says to us, Paul says that when you want to appoint an elder, make sure that he is not a novice. Lest by him preaching, paraphrase, by him preaching and teaching the word, his heart be puffed up. Paul says to us that for you to, to pick a, a, an elder in church, the person ought not to be a striker. He, had to, he has to be a man of one woman. He has to have a record that his children are not unru- that, that his children are not unruly. That's what Paul said. That if anybody is going to stand among God's people to declare God's word, such a person, we must have attested to the fact that such a person is carrying the life of God. Actively. Practically. Glory to Jesus Christ. So the, it starts like this. When God wants to send a man, that man, he opens that man's ears. That man's ears has to be first open. And when that man's ear is opened, that man is going to show up on the scene. And when he shows up on the scene, he will show up based on the volume of book that was written of him. Hi, sir. I want to say something. And based on the volume of book that is written of him, does not necessarily mean he will have scriptures that talk about, you know, some people now, when they want to go into ministry, they, they will come in the volume of books, in quotes. And this is the volume of books that will come in. They will come in the volume of books of how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. These are the volume of books that they will come in. No. What I'm trying to say is that the instructions of God as recorded in the scriptures, that is the volume of book the person is going to come. That when the person is coming, the person is coming on the strength of his obedience to the instructions of God. Not really the instructions or the promises of God. No. He's coming based, there's an aspect for that. He's coming based on the instructions and based on the promise of God. So he's coming in the volume of books. Because the psalmist says to us that I delight to do your will. Your law is within my heart. Don't run off and go and do anything for God. If the law of God is still in your Bible, it has to be in your heart. Remember that, that, that message by Gideon Odoma, put and write. Right? Put and write. That's the, I think that's the title, put and write. I will put my laws in their heart and I will write them on the tables of your heart. At least let the words of God, even if you don't have an understanding of the entire thing, but at least let the words of God be in your heart. Let it be in your heart. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. So the Bible says there was a man sent from God. And there are some of the qualities of a man 
that is sent from God. There are some of the qualities of a man that is sent from God. Number one, a man that is sent from God speaks the word of God. John chapter 3 verse 34. If you have your Bibles, let's open there. John chapter 3 verse 34. John chapter 3, verse 34. Let me start from verse 33. The Bible says, He that received his testimony has said to his seal that God is true. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. John 3, 34. For he whom God had sent speaketh the words of God. That's the A part. For he whom God has sent speaketh the words of God, not the words of his village. Not the words of Facebook. Not the words of a media house. It is an error for a pastor to be inspired for his Sunday message from what he read in the news. That is, he read something about the government in the news and the thing got him so angry, so much so that when he came, when he came on Sunday, it was the words of his anger. Whether you are, if you are a preacher, you have, if you are a preacher, you quarrel with your wife before you came to church. You come behind that pulpit, you speak the words of God. You don't speak the words of your anger or the words of your marriage. And this is one of the things that has besetted us. It is that people, men and women come to church or people, preachers come to church and what they are preaching is the words of their experience, not the words of God. But the Bible says, he that is sent of God speaketh the words, the words of God, the words of God. And I'm not saying when he's preaching or teaching. I'm saying that casually in his life, in his home, in his business, with his friends, wherever he is, he speaketh the words of God. Yes, he might not be quoting scripture when he's talking to his friends, but everything he's saying, he's drawing the inspiration from an understanding of God's word that he has. That's the person who is sent of God. This was why Jesus said to us that every idle word that you speak, you, it will be used to judge you. So Jesus understood that there is a possibility for a person to speak an idle word. What is an idle word? A word that doesn't, a word you speak that doesn't carry the word of God in it. Because the Bible says the word of the Lord is living and active. So if you want your, if you want your words to be active, your words must be, must be drawing inspiration from the words of God. So the Bible says, he that, the Bible says, he that is sent of God speaketh the words, the words of God. Jeremiah chapter 1, from verse 7 to 8. Jeremiah chapter 1, from verse 7 to 8. I will also use this, this scripture to buttress my point 
Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 7 to 8. The Bible says, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 7 to 8. The Bible says, But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Again, but the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child. For thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. This is the word of the Lord. That if he sends you, whatsoever he commands you, that is what you will speak. Whatsoever he commands you, that's what you will speak. And this is one of the, you see, uh, yes, yes, there is a place for that. There's a place for that. There's a place for that. But you see, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot, okay, let me put it this way. You cannot say you will not preach or you cannot say you will not speak the words of God because of your because of a particular religion. Sorry, no. Because of a particular tradition that you have. Okay, so for example, I think the most respectful tribe in Nigeria should be Yoruba. It's so much that you and your, your older brother might be in the house and they say, well, you cannot talk to him. You cannot even call him by his first name. So respect is deeply enshrined. And it's a godly attribute. It's a godly attribute. Respect is a godly attribute. Has been deeply enshrined into the... However, however, if you know that there is any point in time where you are being bent, you are being bent to do something that is not correct. You are being bent to pervert the word of God. Huh? One of the ways that you will, you will build authority in God is that you speak what you have been commanded. I'm not saying you have to be rude about it, but if there is any, if you are in a meeting. Eh? Except that they didn't ask for your opinion. If you are in a meeting and they ask for, for your opinion, if, if let's say you are 11 in that meeting, if 10 people have spoken the words of tradition and it is your turn to speak, it will be wrong for you to say, let me just join them, so, so as for, the, for them not to get angry. Because check throughout scriptures, every time the people of God refrain themselves for, from speaking the words of God, the power of God was short-circuited. So, the, so, so God was saying to Jeremiah, he says, you will go everywhere that I, I tell you to go, and you will speak what I command you to speak. And so the Bible talks about Moses. The Bible says that Moses went in to meet with the Lord and came out to talk to the people. 
And this is the original prototype. This is the original template of everybody who will speak for God. He must first speak to God. Then he will come out and speak to the people. As a preacher, I'm sorry, I'm using preacher, preacher, preacher. I'm sorry. But as a preacher, you cannot just stay and decide that, ah, the last time I preached this message was hot. Let me preach it again. Or you say the way the way Pastor Banky preached that message. Let me just go and repreach it verbatim. Do you know there's a particular scripture in the book of Jeremiah that God said that my prophets have become as those that borrow words from each other's mouth. But you will you will you will imagine that. Ah, but it's the word of God that they are borrowing from each other's mouth. But God still was not pleased with that operation. I'm not saying there is no place for you to listen to another person and be inspired to preach something. I'm saying that God was displeased that his prophets were prophets that were borrowing words from each other's mouth. That means every word that I listen to, every word that I listen to, I must find the commandment of God in that word for me to preach it. You don't just say because it's a nice message. Let's preach it. Ezekiel said, I prophesied as I was commanded. And when I prophesied, there was a shaking. I prophesied as I was commanded. And when I prophesied, there was a shaking. So first, I received the commandment. Next, I prophesied. The thing that happened was that there was a shaking. If I was not, if I, if I was not commanded and I prophesied, there would be no shaking. And sometimes people speak prophecies out of anger. Out of tribalism, they prophesy. Out of less prophesy, they prophesy. Especially when they are called prophets. So everywhere they go, they just prophesy. They just prophesy. They just... And you cannot, you, cannot carry, you cannot carry the authority of God. You cannot carry the authority of God if you, do, if you are not one who prophesies as commanded. Look at what that centurion said. He said, I am a man under authority. As a result of that, I say unto one, go, and he goes. I say unto one, come, and he comes. What, what he was basically trying to say is that because I was under authority, I had people who had, had authority over and that is the principle of the kingdom. If a person is not under authority, his words cannot carry authority. Because first and foremost, the person we are here to represent is the God of the whole earth. He has all the power of the heavens and the earth. But if he is not Lord in your life, he cannot be Lord through your life. If God is not Lord over you, he cannot be Lord through you. If God is not Lord over a person's life, it cannot be Lord through that person's life. And so sometimes we speak to things and we want them to go. And our words will not carry power. Forget that nonsense that they tell you that because you are, you are a believer, you are a believer, it doesn't matter how you do, it doesn't matter how you live. God has given you power, He has given you authority. Anything you like, you can just say. If you prophesy something to come to pass, forget that nonsense. If you stay in rebellion to God, you will be God's person. You will speak God's word and it will fall to the ground. Samuel was not rebellious to God. He was just ignorant. He was just presumptuous. 
And the prophet, who the Bible says his words never fell to the ground. He was just presumptuous. Not, not that he was rebellious. He was just presumptuous. He just presumed that because of the way this person is looking, this is the anointed of the Lord. And he missed it. That means being under the authority of God brings us to a place where we cannot assume. Cannot just assume. That was not rebellion. Just presumption. Just presumed. So the Bible says, everyone sent from God speaks the words of God. Speaks the words of God. Number two, the second quality of a man that is sent from God is that he acts as God's representative. He acts as God's representative. He acts as God's representative. Matthew 10, verse 40. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, Whosoever receives you, receives me. And whosoever receives me, receives him that sent me. Whosoever receives you, receives me. And whosoever receives me, receives he that sent me. That means that if you are being received, you are being, I am being received. That means that you are my representative. And just like I learned somewhere, to represent, to represent something means that something has been presented before. And you are representing it. It has been presented before. And you are representing it. That means if we are not, if we are not presenting, if we are not presenting the image of God, then we are not representing God. That is why long enough, long enough, Yes, we know there is a place for growth. But long enough, everybody who is called the minister of the Lord, long enough, we should be able to see miraculous power working in his life. Long enough, everybody who represents God should be able to bring solutions to problems. Long enough, that's not his primary assignment, but long enough, everybody who is a minister of God should be able to speak in the capacity of God. Let me go back to that presumption. God said to the children of Israel, God said, by this you will know a a true prophet and a a fake prophet. Say, by this you will know a true prophet and a fake prophet. If a prophet speaks a word and it comes to pass, he said, he's a true prophet. I'm not saying he predicted. You know, prophecy is the realm of prediction. But if a prophet speaks a word and it comes to pass, you will know it's a prophet. He said if he speaks a word and it doesn't come to pass, the Bible says he has spoken presumptuously. You shall not fear him. What Jonah, what Jonah was doing, that thing that the Bible says that and none of the words of Samuel fell to the ground, it was not a special thing. Yes, in our, in our current day, in our current day, it will, it will look special. But at that time, it was not a special thing. 
Your ministry as a prophet, your ministry as a prophet will be rendered invalid if you say something that doesn't come to pass. Such was the way of the prophets of old. Everything that they say had to come to pass. Look at Jonah. The reason why Jonah was very angry, read Jonah again. Maybe if you go home, study Jonah, read Jonah again. You realize that the reason why, one of the reasons why Jonah was very angry, where God did not destroy the children of Nineveh, was because his prophetic, his prophetic calling was at, was at risk. His prophetic reputation was at risk. Read it again. You, you will realize what Jonah said. Because when they proclaim a destruction, it's supposed to happen. That is why sometimes for God to keep their ministry, the ministry of a prophet afloat, this is what God does. When they prophesy something and the person repents, God will not go to another prophet. God will go to the same prophet and tell the prophet that because this person has humbled himself before me, go back and say to him that it shall no longer be so. That prophet has to be the one to come and annul what he has said. So everyone who is sent from God acts as God's representative. This was one of the things that Jesus Christ was doing in his ministry. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. Number three, everyone who is sent from God is one who bears witness of God. And listen to this, and is born witness by God. Everyone who is sent from God is one who bears witness for God and who is born witness by God. That means he bears God witness and God bears him witness. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in John chapter 1 verse 8, John speaking, says to us that he was not the true light, but he was sent to bear witness unto the light. Was sent to bear witness unto the light. Acts chapter 23, verse 11. Acts 23, verse 11. Acts 23, verse 11. And the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul. For as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. And we have said, so, I think a while ago, that to bear witness for God doesn't mean you have to talk all the time. It is that your life is a witness that God exists. That means if God were on trial, or if the existence of God were on trial, and your pre- somebody wanted to so somebody wanted to defend the cause of God's existence. The person will find sufficient evidence from our lives. That's what it means to be a witness from God. And like we've learned that there are two kinds of witness. 
The first one is eyewitness. The second one is expert witness. For the purpose of this teaching, we can say the first one is experiential witness. A person who experienced it, he can be a witness. And a person who is an expert can be a witness. Meaning to, to you and I, that if we are a people sent from God, the first thing is that we must have experiences in God. Sir, we must have experiences in God. We must have experiences of answered prayers. We must have experiences of the supernatural. That's what it means to be an eyewitness. The second thing, the second witness that we must have is that we must have sufficient witness so much that when we are asked, why do you think God exists? We will not say, look at what, he did this for me, he did this for me. No. We will be able to, from scripture, explain why God exists. That is why I, I have a bias. I usually used to say that every person who is a believer might not be called to the public ministry, but he should be at least able to explain the concept of salvation. So everyone, everyone, everyone who is sent from God is a witness for God. And he is born witness by God. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 18, verse John chapter 18, verse 37. Pilate therefore said unto him, Are thou a king? Then Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth, and everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. A man of God, you know, Jesus did not say to this end came I into the world to die. No. This particular one, I believe it is, it is the destiny of everyone who is born of God. The Bible says, to this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world. God did not have any business sending you into the world, but for one thing, so that you will bear witness unto the truth. Truth is truth, but truth is established by witness. You cannot detach from the truth. You cannot take away from the truth. But every truth is established by witness. And God wants to, wants to raise men and women whose life will stand as witness enough. But in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3 and verse 4, you know, we talked about two parts of it. We said everyone who is born of God, everyone who is sent from God, bears witness of God and is born witness by God. Hebrews chapter 2, from verse 3 to 4. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3 to 4. The Bible says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? And God also, bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, and with diverse miracles. Sorry, let this. And God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. So, so the miraculous is not, is not the goal. Signs and wonders and miracles is not the goal of a man sent from God. 
But long enough, God will bear such a man witness with signs and wonders. That is why everywhere the truth of God and the righteousness of God is being revealed, the power of God for signs, wonders, and miracles will not be far from that place. So the Bible says God bore them witness. They were talking about salvation, but God bore them witness. In Acts chapter 2, verse 22, the Bible says Jesus Christ was a man approved by God through sight and wonders. He was approved. So God approved him. And part of the approval, see, it was not everything Jesus did that he did by the anointing. And it was not everything Jesus did that he did as his capacity as God. One, some of the things that Jesus did, he did because it was an approval. It's an approval. Whereas it is not all signs and wonders that approves that what we are doing is right. However, in some context, some is as a result of approval. Especially lasting signs. Signs that can last. For a very long time, people have been taught that uh, sometimes if, if you are being healed and you lose your healing, it's because you lack faith and, uh, and, and all of that. There are times that <laughs> the person, it's not as if the person lacked faith, but because of the quality of life, when you laid hands and the person got healed, you also pass leanness into the person's soul. Of what use it is for you to be able to heal somebody and then you fill the person's heart with anxiety for prosperity. What kind of a useless miracle is that? The person before that, the person was on wheelchair. The person had peace. The only thing that used to make the person start is this my leg. Now the person is, has two legs, but the person is now more ungrateful to God than when he had wheelchair. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Our time is running. Let me, let me run also. The fourth thing I'd like to say, and finally, next week, Sunday, my God's grace will continue. The fourth thing I'd like to say, and finally, is that a man who is sent from God, or one who is sent from God, is one who makes straight the path of the Lord. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3, the Bible says the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness makes straight the paths of our Lord in the desert. Makes straight the path of our Lord. Luke chapter 3 verse 4, the Bible says, quoting Isaiah, it says the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness makes straight the paths of our God. That means the reason why God sends people is that God sends people as forerunners. The Bible says Jesus Christ sent them two by two into the cities where he himself plans to come. And it's the same way today. Everywhere God plans to come, he sends his people there. What his people do there is to make a path for him to come. So when God sends you into education, he sends you into medicine. He is sending you there because he intends to come. See, I, I believe, one of the things I believe, one of the things I believe, is that there are some sicknesses, sickle cell sicknesses, 
cancer sicknesses. That in our lifetime, I prophesy it in the name of Jesus. In our lifetime, God will raise men and women in the medical field that will find a cure. Amen. In our lifetime. Check. Majority of, the, of, the, of these illnesses that were terminal diseases, men and women, God opened. Now the wisdom is hidden. It's not as if it's not there. The Bible says God created every herb in the tree, every herb in the garden, as food for man. God did not create any medicine. But what God created is the source of medicine for man. That means everything God created in the garden was enough to sustain man to live. So as we were combining fruits and, and, and as we were eating, the, medic, the medicinal value, value was there. Nutritional value was there. And all of those things were there. So in the olden days, some of these big, big cuts, there were leaves that you would literally chew and it would dry. But you know, that it could be that in those days, those men lived. And according to oh God, those men, there were men who lived, I believe. Yes, I think so, I think so, I think so. There were men who lived, and in their time, in their time, in this world, in this world, not, not the former world, in this world, there were men who lived, and in their time, cancer was curable. But the time came when that wisdom was withdrawn, and the memory of it was, was, was wiped out. But I want to believe that in our time and in our season, God will find men enough to ride into the medical sector. God will find men enough to ride into the educational sector. God will find men enough. So every man sent from God has been sent to make the path of the Lord straight. God doesn't come until he sends a foreigner. God doesn't come. Check through our scriptures. He doesn't come until he sends a foreigner. When he wanted to come and deliver the children of Israel, he said to Moses, he said, I've heard the cry of the children of Israel as a result of the tax master, and now am I come down. You, go. That's what he said to Moses. He said, I have come down, but you go. God doesn't come until he sends a foreigner. And what we are declaring in this place today, what we are decreeing in this place today is that God will find our lives sufficient ground. God will find our lives a highway for him to ride into the nations in the name of Jesus. To ride into families. To ride into families. To ride into families. Somebody say he doesn't believe in generational cause. Okay. I don't believe in generational cause for a believer. But every believer is under a curse. And that curse is generational. It is only Jesus that can deliver him. And so there are families God wants to break a curse in them. And God is sending you there as their in-law. There are families God wants to break a curse from. And God is sending you there as their in-law. There are families God wants to send, break a curse there. And God is sending you there as their pastor. Their family, God, God, God wants to break a curse there. And God is sending you there as their teacher. Their families, God wants to break a curse from. And God is, listen, and God is sending you there as their mechanic. God is sending you there as the nurse that will take care of their children. 
God is sending you there as the tailor that will be sewing their clothes. But the reason why he connected you is that there is a curse he wants to break. He wants to ride there, but he needs somebody to make straight the paths of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I want us to, to pray. I want us to begin to pray to the Lord. To pray to the Lord that he will help us. To pray to the Lord that he will help us. To pray to the Lord that he will help us. To, that he will help us. That we will speak his words. That we will be his representatives. That we will bear witness of him and that we will be born witness by him. And that we will make straight his paths. That in this local job we will make straight the paths of the law. That in Kogi State we will make straight the paths of the law. That in Nigeria we will make straight the paths of the law. In our offices, we will make straight the paths of the law. In our schools, in our homes, in our marriages, we will make straight the paths of the law. Um, good morning, everybody. Um, I want to welcome us to church. This um, beautiful Sunday morning. Amen. It is my prayer that God will once more add line upon line to us. And he will add precept upon precept to us. A little here, a little there. So that at the end of the day, we will be God's man, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us quickly pray this morning before we look at God's word. Father, we thank you for this beautiful morning. Thank you for the privilege of life. Thank you for the willingness to come to your temple to hear your word. Um, thank you for making us to love your habitation. Thank you for calling us into your presence to learn of you. We ask, dear Father, that everything, everything that we will learn today, everything that we will learn today, it will speak for us even in eternity in the name of Jesus. We will walk by these things. We will not be doers only. We will not be hearers only. We will be doers of your word. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. For where there is new wine, there is new power. There is new freedom. The kingdom is here. I lay down my old flame to carry on you fire today. Where there is new wine, there is new power, there is new freedom, the kingdom is I lay down my old flame to carry on you fire today. One more time. Where there is new wine, there is new power, there is new freedom, the kingdom is here. I lay down my 
carry on you fire today. Make me a vessel. Make me an offering. Make me whatever you want me to be. I came here with nothing but all that you've given me. Jesus, bring new wine out of me. Jesus, bring new wine out of me. Where there is new wine, there is new power, there is new freedom, the kingdom is here, I lay down my old flame to carry on you far today. Hallelujah. You see, Jesus is still in the business of bringing out new wine. You know, the Bible tells us about the wedding at Canaan, how that during the ceremony, wine got finished. And how that it was through Jesus, by the obedience of Jesus, that new wine came into that ceremony. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. But then there is something very striking that the governor of the feast said there. The governor of the feast said that many men, or most men, they will serve their best wine at the beginning of the ceremony. Then at the end of the ceremony, they will serve their second second choice wine. But then the, the uh, governor of the feast said, but you have saved the best wine for last. And I feel like prophesying that God's best will be unveiled in these last days. That yes, we are in the last days, but even in these last days, these last days is the day of God's best. God's best wine will be served in these last days. God's choicest vessels will be served in these last days. God's outstretched hand will be served in these last days. In the name of Jesus Christ. So yes, we are confident. We are confident. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. Alright, last Sunday we began to look at the topic, a man sent from God. Praise the name of Jesus. A man sent from God. And we called last Sunday, part one. But this morning, we're going to be looking at the part two of that same topic. A man sent from God. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles open with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. To put it in context, I'll start from verse 1. The Bible says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, which twin he covered his face, 
and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. I feel like pausing here to pass a quick comment on that verse 3. The Bible says, the seraphims, they were crying one to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Now, if you are not careful, there is a detail there you will miss. If you are not careful, you will think what the seraphims were doing was that they were praising God. Yes, they were praising God, but you will think that what the seraphims were doing there was that they were speaking to God. In other words, they were saying to God, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But no, the scripture says that they were crying one to another. They were crying one to another. In other words, they were speaking one to another. They were having a conversation one to another. And the content of their conversation was holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And one of the lessons we can learn there as Christians is that many other times it is not the intentional worship we do in church that really ascribes praise to God. One of the ways, one of the strongest ways and the most genuine way to ascribe praise to God is in our conversations. So two believers were sitting in a bus and they were talking and as a result of their conversation, the baseline of their conversation is that the Lord is holy, holy, and the whole earth is filled with his glory. Two believers were sitting in the office and they were talking about the nation Nigeria. And the result of their conversation, what they were saying in that their conversation is that the Lord is holy. And even Nigeria is full of his glory. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. Because many times we, when we are passing a comment... Not in church now, but when we are passing a comment, when we are discussing with friends, we think that because we are murmuring to our friend, it doesn't mean we are murmuring against God. But the children of Israel, there wasn't a time that the Bible recorded that the children of Israel murmured against God directly. They were murmuring to Moses, but God said they were murmuring against him. The same way, there's a way we talk, there's a way we order our conversations. And God will receive praise for our conversations. Praise the name of Jesus. I just felt like stopping to share that. But verse 4 says, And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Verse 5, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Verse 6, then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongues from off the altar, verse 7, and he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thy iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Again, let me pause to pass another comment. So this... this Seraphim takes a live coal of fire from the altar of the Lord and uses it to touch the tongue, to touch the mouth of Isaiah the prophet. And the comment the seraphim passed is that because of this, your iniquity has been purged. Again, I'll go back to our conversation that it will be impractical for us to live a holy Christian life if we don't order our conversations aright. That there are so many things we do. We do 
I will be so surprised that, ah, ah, why will I do some, something like this? Not knowing that because of some of the careless statements that we've made in time past. For example, a believer, single or married, a believer cannot sit in a company of unbelievers and you'll be having a conversation on how to sleep with a woman. You'll be passing comment about a woman's bosom. But then he runs to church and he tells you, I have a weakness, I have a weakness, my weakness is women, my weakness is women. Meanwhile, if you check, day after day, the conversations he pays attention to and the words that come out of his mouth, there are, there are words that strengthen his iniquitous life. So the Bible says to us, um, 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 in the book of Psalms, David speaking, he said, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. And, you know, we've learned so many times that that word meditation doesn't mean to think. That word meditation means to regurgitate. It means to mutter. It means to, to utter words. So deeper than the words that your mouth is saying, your heart is also uttering words. Praise the name of Jesus. And one of the ways to silence the words in your heart is to silence the words of your mouth. One of the ways to silence the words in your heart is to give the words in your is to give your heart instruction. Is to give your soul instruction. So David says to us, he says, um, he says, My soul, wait thou only upon God, for thine expectation is from him. He says in another place, he says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I will yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance. Now, if David was saying something like that and you were outside, you would think he was counseling somebody else. No, but he was counseling his soul. He said, My soul. He said, Why art thou cast down within me? And why are you disquieted? Why are you disquieted? So many times we try to conduct deliverances for people who tell you that they are hearing voices. They say we are hearing voices. I'm always hearing voices. And one of the one of the if one of the hearing voices is one of the effect of having a disquieted soul. You know, a disquieted soul, a soul that has clamorings, a soul that has cravings, a soul that is apprehensive, that is agitated, that a soul that is anxious, a soul that is under pressure. That is what it means to have a disquieted soul. So David says, Why had that cast down all my soul? And why had that disquieted within me? He says, Hope thou in God. Hope in God. He says, For I will yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance. Praise the name of Jesus. But let me continue, verse 8. The Bible says, Also, I heard the voice of the Lord now, the voice of the Lord. Bearing in mind that since we started reading this particular chapter, the only voice that Isaiah had heard was the voice of the seraphims. But at this point, he began to hear the voice of the Lord. Are you sure I'm going to preach this message today? Because I don't want to pass another comment here. Okay, so he says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Praise the name of Jesus. Okay, before we go into a man sent from God, let me pass another comment on that verse 8. So in verse 8, Isaiah says, The Lord said unto me, I heard the voice of the Lord. 
But you know, before he began to hear the voice of the Lord, a transaction happened in verse 7. The transaction that happened in verse 7 was that, from verse 6 now, the transaction that happened was that Isaiah noticed that he, he was a man of he was undone. He was a man of unclean lips. He was dwelling among the people of unclean lips. And the seraphim came and touched his mouth with the tongue of fire. And the seraphim said, your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. Then in verse 8, the, he said, I heard the voice of the Lord. Again, I want to say that it will, be, it will not be possible for a person to hear God correctly if, iniquity, if his iniquity has not been dealt with. It will not be possible for a person to begin to hear the voice of the Lord if his iniquity has not been dealt with. Because any attempt he makes to hear the voice of the Lord while harboring iniquity in his heart, he is going to be hearing the voice of his own iniquity, but he will think it is the voice of God. So if God wants to help you, one of the things he does is that he will take you through a class. That class is a class of repentance. That class is a class where iniquity is taken away. When that iniquity has been taken away, then you cannot begin to hear the voice of God. So hearing the voice of God is not a golden achievement. Hearing the voice of God is a resultant effect of what has happened in the heart of a man. It's iniquity has been taken away. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. Okay, now, so let me get into my message. A man sent from God. So, as I heard in verse 8, the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall we send? Who will go for us? And the first comment I would like to pass on that particular scripture, or that particular statement, is this, sir. That... God did not begin to speak to Isaiah about sending him until he realized that he was undone. Until he realized that he was unclean. God did not begin to, he, he, didn't, he didn't hear anything from God concerning his assignment, concerning purpose, concerning destiny. He didn't hear anything from God until his iniquity was taken away until he realized that he was undone. And you see, the first thing I would like to pass here is that many times, many times, the reason why God will not send a man into any field is because of that man's compromise. God will not begin to talk to you about purpose when you cherish iniquity in your heart. God will not begin to tell you about destiny when you still cherish iniquity in your heart. You cannot receive a commission from God when you still cherish iniquity in your heart. So yes, God wants to send. But the first thing God will introduce a person to, or the, or the first thing God will introduce his church to, or his body to, is purging and cleansing. And so the truth of the matter is that it takes time. I will stay here long. 
we stay here long. And I hope you know that when God said that, who shall we send? Who will go for us? You know, you know, you know, that scripture, that scripture, you know, God says, who shall I send? Who will go for us? That scripture has been used to buttress the triune nature of God, the Trinity. So the Bible says, for example, in Genesis, God says, let us make man. So God was talking in, in the sense of plurality, as it were. And he was making reference to the Trinity, the Godhead. And people also have said that, okay, God said, who shall I send? Who will go for us? And the us in, the script, in that scripture is also talking about the Godhead. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. And yes, that is true. But I also like to say that when we get baptized into God, when we come into Christendom, when we come into the Christian faith, one of the things that happens to us is that we become members of the family of God. So when God is saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? The us, that us also cuts across his children. So God has a crop of people available to him. God has, a, God has a crop of people that are his. And God is asking his crop of people who will go for us. That means this message that we want to send, every one of us has a stake in it. Every, it is important to every one of us, but it is not every one of us that can bear the message. We need a person that will go for us. So yes, the body of Christ is powerful. The body of Christ is strong. The body of Christ is made up of believers. Praise the name of Jesus. But there are specific functions in the body of Christ that will not be achieved until a person appears on the scene to go for us. So the reason why God will call you into business is because God is telling you to go for us. And then you will realize that your calling is not just your calling. It is not just you that has something at stake in your calling. Your calling is generally... Your calling is for us. The success or failure of your calling will affect us. The the success or failure of your ministry, it will affect us. Because the word that came out of the mouth of the king is who will go for us. So many times when God sends a man and that man appears on the scene, that man came for us. That is why correct ministry, accurate ministry can never be done by competition. If you begin to compete with a fellow minister, you should know that you are far from Zion. You are, you are, you are, you are running your own errand. Because one of the reasons why God chose the language body to describe the church is to explain to us that this thing is a system. This thing is a system. It eats. It is interconnected. And so the functionaries in that body, the apostles, the pastors, the preachers, the administrators and all of that, the people in the body of Christ must collaborate, not compete. Because every ministry, every assignment, every calling is for us. And I hope you know that every calling and assignment is an offshoot of Jesus' ministry. That the reason why anybody will have any ministry to even start with is because Jesus started something. And so Jesus says to us, and Jesus says, not directly to us, but Jesus says on the cross, it is finished. And then he goes to the grave. And then he comes. And then he says to the disciple, 
go into all the world. For it's the name of Jesus Christ. So this is a relay. It's a relay. And as much as it is important for us to start well, it is much more important for us to finish well. Praise the name of Jesus. It is important for us to start well. It is much more important for us to finish well. And what am I trying to say? That if you are conversant with a relay race, it is not the strength of the person that started the journey that will, as it were, confirm that that particular team will win. Everybody who is going to bear that touch, or who is going to bear that button, rather, is supposed to run it efficiently and accurately because at the end of the day, the result of the relay race is the cumulative effort of everybody. For a relay, there is no, it doesn't make any sense for there to be individual brilliance. Amen. Individual brilliance does not have anything to do with the relay. So yes, Jesus Christ has, Jesus Christ demonstrated his brilliance by the level of efficiency and effectiveness with which he ran his ministry and did his assignment. Praise the name of Jesus. But he also wants us to become effective soldiers of his. That was why Paul said to Timothy, he said, endure hardness as a good soldier of Christ. Because this thing that Jesus Christ came to accomplish is also dependent on us. So it is who will go for us. And I feel like saying what I said last week, that the what we see in the Bible is that there was a man sent from God. We didn't see that there was a man sent by God. And that is because everyone God will send, God will send out of himself. God will send out of his community. You know some people will say God can use anybody. God can use anybody. God can use a drunkard. That I don't know why is it that it is drunk cats they used to speak truth. You know that thing that Nigeria film has cost. So we feel because you are drunk, you have the gift of prophecy. Yeah, that's what Nigeria film tells us now. Because you are drunk, you have the gift of prophecy. So a drunk card will not be telling you, you, you are a witch. You know the way it happens in Nigeria film. Snap out of it, it's not true. <laughs> the word of God says, why is a mocker? And let me quickly explain some of the reasons why some of those drunkards, it seems as if they are saying truth. the truth is because sometimes they have witnessed some of these things when they were sober. And one of the things that drunkenness does is that when you are drunk, the content of your soul begins to come out. Because drunk, a drunken man does not have time for diplomacy. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. So, last week we, we, we said, a man that is sent from God speaks the word of God, acts as God's representative, is one who bears witness and is born witness by God, is one who makes straight the paths of the Lord, right? That's where we ended. Yeah. Okay, today I want us to quickly look at how to bear God's message. How to bear, how to bear God's message. Yes, because, you see, there is an, there is, should I, is it and how now, or a how? And how, or a how? There is a how, okay. There is a way to bear God's message. You don't just bear God's message anyhow. 
The Bible says the labor of the foolish wearied every one of them because he knoweth not how to go to the city. So it is not laboring, laboring as it were, laboring, 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 that generates results. They say how to labor. They say what to labor. You know, just like Pastor Banky was sharing with us, that you know the way some motivational speakers tell you be consistent, you must be persistent, you must be insistent, be persistent, be persistent. That pers- persistence will only help you if you are doing the right thing. Because there is no use for you to be persistently wrong. You are on the wrong path, but you are persistent. You are engaging in the wrong way, but you are persistent. You are solving further math, and you don't know the, you don't know, you, you, for example, you are solving differential calculus, and you don't know the basic rules of differentiation. You don't know the basic rules. You are just doing uh, the y, the x, the lambda, the this, the y, the x, the this, the this, the v, the u. That's what you are just doing. You don't, you don't know how it works. And instead of you to come down to learn, you are being told be persistent, be persistent, be persistent, be persistent. So you know what the Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes? He said, if the iron is blunt, you will have to exact much strength. He says, but wisdom is profitable to direct. What does it mean? It means that if the iron is blunt, you will be, you will be hitting it. You will be sweating. People will be saying, what a hardworking man. What a hardworking man. This man is a hard worker. This man is a hard worker. Not knowing that the iron you are using is blunt. So if you have eight hours to cut down a tree, it will do you what you will be, you will be a wise man if you spend the first six hours to sharpen your machet or your cutlass. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Hallelujah. So there's a right way to engage. There's a right way to engage. That is why you see mathematics, even though I'm not so good at maths, but mathematics, I like mathematics for one thing. You know, what you basically do in mathematics is to learn the how. When you learn the how, eh, there is no question that comes to you. Because you know the how, you will know how to go about it. Whereas in other subjects, you can cram and pass. But in mathematics, if you miss the how, you are not getting any results. If you miss the how, you are not getting any results. And if you understand the how, no matter how the question is being twisted, you will be able to go around it. And that is how life is. Life is like mathematics. If you don't know the how, you will keep engaging, but you will not get any results. But you will keep engaging. And you know me, I'm not a result. result, uh, But I'm just trying to say to us that even God's message, there's a way to bear it. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And I will share some of these things, and I believe that the Holy Spirit will write on these things and give us greater understanding. Because you see, one of the things that me, I, I, I trust God for, is that as we are talking, deeper than what we are saying, people will be getting an understanding that's even deeper than what we are saying. That is what it means for the teaching anointing to be present. The teaching anointing doesn't necessarily have to be coming from the mouth of the preacher. The teaching anointing can be atmospherical. So much so that a scripture you read at home, you really understand. You enter into an atmosphere, you understand it. Amen. Praise the name of Jesus. So I, I trust the Lord 
to open up to open up these things. Amen. So how to bear God's message? The first point I would like to share in this how to bear God's message is found in the book of Proverbs chapter 25 verse 13. Proverbs 25 verse 13. Proverbs chapter number 25 and in verse 13 the Bible says as the cold of snow in the time of harvest so is a faithful messenger to them that send him for he refreshes the soul Kai. for he refreshes the soul of his masters have you seen it you've seen it right proverbs 25 verse 13 the bible says as the cold of snow in the time of harvest so is a faithful messenger to them that send him for he refreshes the soul of his masters so the first method on how sorry the, the, the way the first way <laughs> the first way i'd like to bring our attention to on how to bear god's message is that god's message must be born faithfully It must be born faithfully. It says like the code of harvest, the code of snow in the time of harvest. So it's a faithful messenger to them that sent him. For he refreshes the soul of his masters. You know, there are portions of faithfulness that have been emphasized and these portions are true and accurately so. It's just that these portions that have been emphasized has only been emphasized on the part of the faithful. Right? It has not been emphasized on the effect it has on the sender. So, for example, we, we have been made to know that when a person is faithful in little, he will, he will be faithful in much. And that if you are faithful in a little, more will be committed unto you. So when we study faithfulness, we study faithfulness along the line of the resultant effect of faithfulness in your own life as a person. Right? However, this scripture now tells us the effect of your faithfulness on God. That as you remain faithful to the message that you have been sent, you are refreshing the soul of your master. That occasionally, occasionally, you see, not occasionally now, that every day of our lives that we remain faithful to the assignment, to the calling, to the message that God has given to us, there is an effect it has on God. And yes, that is not to take anything away from the almightiness or the sovereignty of God because, you know, people have, people have, um, said to us that there's nothing you can do to God, there's nothing you can take away from God, and that is true. But the Bible also tells us things like not grieving the Holy Spirit. Amen. That means there is a way my life will be and to bring grief to the Holy Spirit. The same way there is a way my life will be and it will refresh the soul of the Father. Because one day, 
in, in, it happened twice in the scripture. It happened twice in scripture. The first time it happened was in the book of Genesis. The Bible says, and it repented God that he made man. Have you come across that scripture? That means God regretted that he made man. That means on the earth, what God was seeing was a decay, was a decadence. But do you know the next person that achieved that feat with God? In scriptures, it was Saul. What the entire human race did, eh? what the entire human race did, only Saul did it. So much so that God came to Samuel, the prophet, and says to Samuel, he said, it repented me that I made Saul king. He said, I am regretting that I made Saul king. And so a person can be anointed. A person might be sent. And God forbid that one day God will be passing a comment about our lives in heaven. And he will say, I regret that I made this person this. I regret that I sent this person. And you see, even if God doesn't stretch his hand to strike you, when the God of the heavens and the earth utters a kind of, that kind of statement concerning you, you are not likely to live long. Now, God will not, I'm saying, God is not actively trying to kill you or to get you out of the way. He just made that kind of statement. The God of the whole earth made that kind of statement. Because you see, it is only human beings that because we have choice, sometimes God will say something, we say we will not do it. The entire creation dances according to the mood. Permit me to use that word. According to the mood of the master. So if God is not happy, the earth literally will begin to quake. And so if God is not happy towards a man, when the earth will realize that our master is not happy towards this man. And so even the sun and the moon and the earth and the trees, all of them will be weaponized against you. Praise the name of Jesus. So scripture says to us that God looked one time and he said, it repented me that I made something. But on the flip side, on the flip side, on the flip side, the Bible says that a faithful messenger refreshes the soul of the master. And it's a privilege that in our lifetime, it's a privilege that mortal men like us will be able to do anything to get God excited. We'll be able to do anything to get God excited. And that is why I'm going. That when God sends you, he might not give you, you might not be a preacher, so he might not give you a message to preach, but there was the purity of an idea he gave to you. That idea becomes your message to this generation and to the one to come. And the more you see, because you see, when a person says, I, I, think, I think we should begin to do this. When a person says to you that God has called me into the business, the business world, ask the person, so what message has the Lord called you to preach? And then the person might say, didn't you hear me? God didn't call me to pulpit ministry. God called me to business. Ask the person again, so what message did God call you to preach? Because the reason why you are sent to, bis- to, 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 to the business world or to the academic world is because God wants to drop a message. 
praise the name of Jesus Christ. God wants to drop a message. And for you, that message might just be integrity. And it was solely because of integrity that God is calling to business. You know, there's something that we've taught people. And I'm seeing that, see, un- unless we quickly arrest the situation, it will cascade into something else. You know what it is? We think that, you know, we say to people that you are a kingdom financier. And what people read from being a kingdom financier is that they are supposed to be in business. So they are in business because they have been told that they have the prosperity anointing. Meanwhile, when God calls a person to business, the first thing God wants to achieve is not to get you to prosper, to push the gospel. That's not the first reason. The first reason God calls you to business is that he is calling you to preach a message. And that message might be integrity. You know, you know another message that it might be? Another message that God might send you to preach in business can be that by the blessing of God, a land can become fertile. That could be your message. And if you know, if, 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 you, if you are being exposed to know that the message God called me to preach is integrity. If you are in academics and you know that the, the, the message God called you to preach is to raise, is to raise an excellent generation. Praise the name of Jesus. And a, a generation that will be able to communicate the depths of God. And a generation that will be able to preserve the heritage of God. A generation who will be giving to... Because you see, one of the things that is happening, sir, is that the culture of reading and writing is gradually becoming eroded. So much so that a graduate, a person can be a graduate and there are some basic words they cannot spell. They cannot spell people. They only know the shorthand of people. If you tell them spell people, they can't. And God might be calling you back into the academic field and he's telling you that see there's a message i want you to preach that message is that this generation should learn how to write and how to read have a writing and a reading culture everything you do in that school whether your your students win cowbell competition and all of that everything you do in that school until at the end of the day until at the end of the day your school was able to produce people who have a reading and a writing culture. You are not faithful to the message. Praise the name of Jesus. If you are doing a business and God wants to preach integrity to your, through your business, know that your work will be rejected the moment you begin to double your hands into bribery and corruption. Because there is a message. There is a message. This is how to be faithful to a message. It doesn't, you, don't, you don't have to be preaching it as it were with your mouth. But the assignment God has given to you becomes your message. For some people, it could simply be that the reason why God is telling you to start a business is to preach to people that business is not about profit. And that becomes your message. But you see that the profit will come. Hmm? The profit will come. But everyone who comes around your life, everyone who comes around your business, everybody who works for you will learn a particular culture. Now the reason why we do things is not because of what we will gain. That becomes your message. 
And then you, you are supposed to, because when God gives you a message, he expects that you carry the message. You bear the message. You embody the message. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. So, if you know that your, your business is supposed to be built, it's supposed to preach integrity, sir. You're supposed to create systems around your business that will preach integrity. So much so that anybody who is given to lying, if they come to work for you, they know they can't. They know it's either they change or they go. Because one of the, one of the things I've learned, sir, is that it is very difficult for people to raise standards. Me and my wife used to have that conversation very well. A person might start a school, but to raise standards for his employees, he will not be able to. And every of our standards must be built on God. Every family must have a standard. Every business must have a standard. And the standard of your business should be the message you are preaching. You cannot have a school and God is calling you to restore the reading and writing culture. And because you don't want to offend somebody, you know a teacher who doesn't read, who doesn't write, but he was recommended to you by one of the wealthiest parents in the, in the school. And you say, let me employ him. Or let me employ her. You know, let, let me just employ her because I don't want a problem. The moment you do that, you are becoming unfaithful to your message. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Amen. Reverentially speaking, now let it be that when somebody, one soul somewhere, has made God to repent, has made God to regret, when God turns his face and looks towards your establishment, his soul will be refreshed. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The second way to bear God's message. The second way to bear God's message is to bear it obediently. Is to bear it obediently. The second way to bear God's message, how to bear God's message, is to bear it obediently. First Kings chapter 13. I might not read everything, but um, let me just at least open there. 1 Kings chapter 13, verses 11 to 15. Verses 11 to 15. 1 Kings chapter 13. Verse 11 to 15, it talks about the story of the old prophets and the new prophets. So the Bible says in verse 11, Now there dwelt an old prophet in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done. And had done that day in Bethel, the words which he had spoken unto the king, and them, and, and them, sorry, unto the king, them they told also to their father. And their father said unto them, what way went he? For his sons had seen what way the man of God went, which came from Judah. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. And then the Bible says in 
verse 17, for this is the young prophet speaking now. He said, it was said to me by the word of the Lord, thou shalt not eat no bread, nor drink water there, nor turn again to go by the way that thou camest. Verse 25, and behold, men passed by and saw the carcasses cast in the way, and the lions standing by the carcass, and they came and told it to, and they came and told it in the city where the old prophet dwelt. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. Okay, so, um, okay, but let me, let me read verse 20. I want to tie some scriptures. Verse 20, the Bible says, And it came to pass as they sat at the table that the word of the Lord came unto the prophet that brought him back. And he cried unto the man of God that came to Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, For as much as thou hast disobeyed the mouth of the Lord, and hast not kept the commandment which the Lord thy God commanded thee, but camest back and hast eaten bread and drunk water in the place of the which the Lord did say to thee, Eat no bread and drink no water. Thy carcass shall, come, shall not come unto the sepulchre of thy fathers. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. So, there was a, a, a young prophet that God sent to go and bring correction. Right? And why, because of the way the correction manifested, when an old prophet came, it was told the old prophet, this was what a young prophet came to do. And then the, the old prophet now meets the young prophet and tells him to come back to eat and drink. Whereas God had given the young prophet a commandment not to do so. While they were eating and drinking, it was by the mouth of the old prophet that God prophesied the death of the young prophet. <laughs> Let me borrow the words of Pastor Banki. Pastor Banki said, you will die faster when you disobey the instructions of God you know for the one somebody else is telling you. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. So, to bear God's message, we must be obedient. To bear God's message, we must be obedient. The Bible says to us, Samuel speaking to Saul now, Samuel says to Saul, he says, obedience is better than sacrifice. But somehow we have been made to think that sacrifice is better than obedience. So God gives an instruction for you to follow in his word. And you think because you are a big giver in church, that has earned you the right to disobey the instruction that God has given. A person who will bear God's message must bear God's message obediently. Because you see, obedience is the way by which the power of God flows into the life of a man. We are as powerful as our obedience, sir. Every one of us is as defended as our obedience. Every one of us is as powerful. Every one of us is as dependent. Every one of us, sorry, every one of us is as glorious as our obedience. So you want to gain stature with God, you must learn how to obey him. And please, the obedience I'm talking about is not the obedience of, you say, the Lord said to you, marry this person. The Lord said to you, marry that person. No, no, no. That's the secondary level. I'm talking about the groundwork, the foundation, the, the primary level of obedience is that every word of God that you see in scriptures and you understand should be obeyed. 
And you know, sir, you know, there are different levels to disobedience. Of course, disobedience is disobedience, but there are different levels. Number one, there's a kind of disobedience that is as a result of ignorance. So you didn't know. That's why you are doing what you are doing. There's another kind of disobedience that is as a result of ignorance of the consequence. That means you knew, but you didn't know that this is the consequence. For example, you were just introduced to the truth. So a preacher had preached it somewhere, and you were like, eh, okay, no problem. You didn't really understand the implication of disobeying that particular instruction. You know, that's another level of disobedience. Then there is a level of disobedience where you know, you know the consequence, you know the sensitivity involved, but you chose to disobey. That's the one that kills. The one that they tell you that God has said, speak, don't speak lie one to your neighbor. Right? You say you know. And you know that the Bible says all liars shall have their portion in the lake of fire. You know. But this Sunday, we need to pay church rent. So let's look for a way to cajole the people to give. Let's place actors in the church. Let's place actors in the church. Let them come and act. So when we say, who will give one million? Actors will run out. So that as they are run, running out, they can lure people who have the ability to give. You make that kind of a decision, you, won't, you are not likely to live long. But let me step away from yeah. preaching. You know God does not want you to cheat. As a businessman, as a security personnel, God does not want you to cheat. But this particular day, you are under pressure. You need, you need a, a few bucks. And so somebody comes to you and the person appears like a novice. Oh, 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 I feel like saying this. There is one God hates, sir. There is one God hates. When you realize that a person is a foreigner in your place. A foreigner, I'm not saying American. I'm saying that when you realize that a person does not know the terrain. You notice that this person is, is speaking, probably speaking Igbo. Or is speaking Hausa. And now he has come to Lokoja. He's trying to get something done. He doesn't know the terrain. If you cheat that person because he doesn't know the terrain, God will personally punish you. Check the instruction God gave to the children of Israel. He told them how to relate with foreigners among them. If you take advantage of a foreigner because he's a foreigner, God is going to punish you. Because I believe one of the reasons why the children of Sodom and Gomorrah had to suffer the judgment of God was depicted. How is it that you heard that visitors came to the house of Lot? And what you wanted to do was for Lot to bring out those visitors so that you can sleep with them. Because they are foreigners. People do that a lot. There are some people that, that, that form bad guys. Is this our area? So when they see a new person in town or a, a new face, they want to take advantage of him. Normally they wouldn't steal. But the day they see a new person around carrying a bag, that's the day they want to steal. They want to take advantage of him. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. Back to my gist about disobedience and obedience. I am saying to us that everything will live long as a result of his disobedience. As a result of its obedience, rather. That when a place is pumped 
with disobedience. When a place has been built on lies and fabrication, it is not likely to live long. And you cannot claim to be doing the work of God while engaging the method of Satan. It was Elijah that said to them, he said, how long are you standing between two opinions? If God is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But you are not permitted to stand in between two opinions. God doesn't take it lightly. You cannot say that you have a message from God, but you are engaging the works of Satan. And there are people who will tell you, when they, they want to criticize, they will criticize pastors that are using charm and juju from babas and all of that. Not knowing that even they, they are engaging the power of Satan. Because Jesus said to us, Jesus said that the devil is the father of all liars. And all of you are his children because you are telling lies. That means that if you have a business that is built on lie, your business is an offspring of the devil. That's what children means now, right? A, ch- a child is an offspring. So we must obey the instructions of God we know. That is how to be, that's one of the ways to bear God's message. That is one of the ways to bear God's message. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We give you praise and glory. We give you praise and glory. We give you praise and glory. We will follow after you faithfully. We will follow after you obediently. Thank you, Jesus.